This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Now you can sign up to become a member at Audible.com and you'll go onto the gold or the platinum plan. And with that, you'll get a credit and you can use the credit to download a free audiobook. Even if you cancel the plan, you can still keep that book forever. That's at audible.com. Episodes where I'm just going to be talking like this the entire time. I hope that you are relaxed and you're kicking back wherever you are, in your bed, in your couch, just getting ready to, you know, drift off to sleep. So, welcome. Welcome to another episode. I received some really good news this week. I was sent a picture of, you know, my podcast playing on the television, and it was just just playing out near to the room. It was really cool, actually. It's really nice. I I really felt, you know, a sense of joy that someone's just got it going on in their room while they're doing whatever they're doing. And just relaxing. So yeah, big high. Also, I should actually issue a bit of an apology. Um, so I went through the whole website and I checked out, you know, the whole form thing where you send to and the email address. And yeah, I'm not really proud of this, but there was a typo in the email address. So if you'd send through a hi or a just a message or suggestion for an episode... That email address was, I assume, going to no one. I tried to get the stuff back, but it wasn't able to get back. So if you sent through a message, please rest assured that I wasn't, you know, just ignoring you. Well, inadvertently, I, I kind of was, but not on purpose. It was, it just changed. So I've checked it and I've double tested it and it works now. So if you, if you sent through a message, by all means, please send it again, and I'll get it this time. Or if you haven't, by all means, just reach out and say hi. It's always great to receive notifications as they started coming through because I set up the email address correctly. Mental note, make sure you set up the email address correctly if you want to get email addresses. Who would have thought, huh? Who would have thought? So yeah, so... I'm, I just, please accept my apologies for this one. I just, when I realized it wasn't great and I fixed it and it's now working. It's working fine. I have some really good news. As you know, uh, Greece has been hit with the, the floods and the fires. So I thought I would find some really cool news about Greece. And there's actually some pretty cool news besides 
obviously the uh, the bad news there. And if you're looking to go on a holiday, then I think Greece might be on your list. So I won't go into too much details because it's financial use, but apparently Greece's sovereign credit rating was lifted uh, to investment status uh, by the DBRS Morningstar. Uh, that's the country's most significant upgrade out of a junk, quote-unquote, what a terrible rating to be in, since it was rocked by the debt crisis more than a decade ago. So this means that it represents a seal of approval, you know, from the Prime Minister, Kyrakios, um, Mitsotakis, Economic Agenda, and the DBRS is one of the rating companies recognised by the European Central Bank. This means that Greek bonds will no longer face higher than normal haircuts. What a strange term. I don't know what the hell that means. Look, it's better. Interest rates for borrowing go down. Their economy is improving. Big hi to all my Greek friends. Um, thank you for existing. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your food, your music, your passion. We have a massive Greek community here in Melbourne. And yeah, it's awesome. It really is. So, big hi. I thought I'd celebrate by letting you know about sort of three, you know, different facts about Greece that you may not have known of. So, here's the first one. There is this thing called the Navio, I'll spell it correctly, N-A-V-A-G-I-O, beach mystery. So, one of the f most famous beaches in Greece is the Navigio Breach, apologies for that, on the island of Zakynthos, renowned for its crystal clear waters and the shipwreck that rests off its shores. The ship is called the Panagiotis. It's believed to have been a smuggler's ship that ran aground while transporting cigarettes in the 1980s. I know, don't you love this? It's a shipwreck, but it's not like, you know, from 16th or 17th century. It's from the 80s. So I kind of imagine that instead of sea shanty songs, it was probably playing 80s pop synth rock. Let's just take a moment to think about that. Pirate ship going along, leather jackets, you know, flat top haircuts, um, blue and red lasers because everything in the 80s had blue and red lasers, dry ice everywhere. Just imagine the ship there with that dry ice going along and you've just got that synth. Oh, we've wrecked. I do think it's fantastic. I think that the Pirates of the Caribbean style you know, version of the Pirates and Smugglers has just been around for too long. I think it's high time we had an 80s pop revival pirate movie. I just... I think that's awesome. Anyway, let me continue. Um, again, the ship is called the Panagiotis. It's believed to have been a smuggler ship that ran aground while transporting cigarettes in the 1980s. And the beach is now often referred to as Shipwreck Beach, and its particular history combined with its stunning beauty makes it a favourite spot for tourists you know, uh, and photographers. There's an interesting one, and... Please, um, I apologise if this is wrong. If you're from Greece, and I've heard a few things at the time when you quote, like, you know, um, something from Australia. And 
um, it's com- you know, completely and utterly incorrect. Uh, koalas, one, you know, they're not bears, no koala bears, things like that. But yeah, they've got this one here called the no say no rule. Okay, so the word no can be somewhat ambiguous in Greece. Instead of verbally saying no, um, which is ochi in Greece, many Greeks traditionally indicate disagreement or refusal with the head tilt upwards and the click of the tongue. I'm not going to do it because it'll just sound like my microphone's malfunctioned. This can be perplexing for foreigners who are used to a clear nod or a verbal disagreement. However, like in many cultures, body language and non-verbal cues play a significant role in communication. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's pretty true. I'm trying to think of an Australian version of that. Okay, so here's a couple of ones. Um, if it's not really, it's it's more of a verbal cue. We tend to mince words together. You might have seen a few, you know, episodes or TikToks on this. But there's one which is pretty cool. So if you get asked a question, and you want to give it serious consideration, and whether it's like you know, hey, can you help me move or any sort of question where it, why not say yes or a no answer. If you seriously want to consider it. What you need to do is when you respond, you just say, yeah, nah, and you oscillate between yeah, nah, yeah, nah. And so the longer the yeah, nah, yeah, nah, backwards and forwards, the more you're taking it seriously. That's that's the indication you know, in Australia. So let's, for instance, you say you want you want to go and you know, grab a coffee. You'd be like, yeah, nah, yeah, that's yes. If you say, hey, could you, you know, I have a 15 story mansion can you help me move it's just going to be you and me and i i'll only be able to be there from say like 1 p.m to 2 p.m so can you arrive at you know 6 a.m till midnight to help me move um i'm a big collector of pianos um and and bowling balls so you ask that question and the response would be yeah nah yeah nah yeah nah yeah nah yeah because you're a mate, you know, you help the other person out. You're also a big fan of bowling balls. And who doesn't love a grand piano? So you oscillate between the two. The longer and more serious the question, the more yeah, nahs there is. So that's just an Aussie-ism. So yeah. Okay, moving on to the third and a little fact about Greece. Okay, so Mount Blessings, every year on August 15th in the village of the Carries on the island of Chios, an unusual event takes place. Two local churches, St. Mark's and Panagia Ananathia, apologies for the pronunciation of these words, by the way, commemorated the Assumption of the Virgin Mary by engaging in a rocket war. Parishioners from both churches fire homemade rockets towards each other's churches, aiming to hit the bell tower. This tradition is not entirely unique to Kerry's. Similar events occur in other parts of Greece, most notably the Rocket War of Verontados on Easter Sunday. The objective isn't to cause damage, but rather to celebrate and maintain a long-standing local tradition. Okay, this is rocketed to my bucket list i want to go who doesn't love fireworks who doesn't love fireworks aimed at a bell 
I think it's got everything that I've ever wanted in life. And so I just want to go to that place, celebrate, fire rockets, and just eat Greek food by the, uh, by the truckload. So yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the news from Greece. I have more amazing news today, by the way. So if you're not asleep already, strap in. It's going to be a fun one. So the first hydrogen-powered plane is taking flight. Okay, so an aircraft retrofitted with hydrogen fuel cells could slash CO2 emissions from small planes and potentially pave the way for hydrogen jets, a new study shows. Now this website, this is from the canarymedia.com and the link will be in the, uh, on the website at comfyplacepodcast.com. Okay, so a potential solution to carbon-free carbon free flying is inching closer to reality. Since the start of the year, small planes equipped with hydrogen fuel cells have made their first test flights over the US with West Coast and English countrysides. The aviation startup Zero Avia and Universal Hydrogen now claim their novel aircraft will be ready to start flying commercially as early as 2025. A new analyst suggests that if the technology can scale, it could sharply reduce greenhouse gas emissions for certain planes and potentially lay the groundwork for decarbonizing broader swaths of the global aviation market. Retrofitting a propeller plane with fuel cells and liquid hydrogen tanks would result in a nearly 90% reduction in life cycle emissions compared to the original aircraft. According to the International Council of Clean Transportation, ICCT, a non-profit think tank, that's assuming the hydrogen is made using only renewable energy, so renewable energy, electricity, not with fossil fuels, the way the vast majority of hydrogen is produced today. Fuel cells work somewhat like batteries on planes, Hydrogens flow into the fuel cell system and spurs an electrochemical reaction that produces electricity. This, in turn, drives the electric motor and spins propellers. But barring a technological brake fuel, the fuel cells can't produce enough power to carry a large, long-distance aircraft that are responsible for the bulk of the aviation's carbon dioxide emissions. Instead, the tech will be likely restricted to short-haul turboprop airliners that can seat roughly 50 to 60 passengers and fl um, fly just a few hundred miles. Such as the distance from New York to Washington, D.C. today, turboprops represent about 1% of the global passenger traffic. Still, experts say that fuel cells can help pave the way for larger and more powerful hydrogen models, including potentially the jets with combustion engines that make liquid hydrogen. Airbus and Boeing, the world's top two aircraft makers, are both developing hydrogen technologies that the industry faces growing pressure from the, uh, to address climate change. The introduction of the fuel cell aircraft will be the testing ground for just generally using hydrogen in aviation. Giant, oh God, I'm going to give this, this last name a try. Um, here's the spelling. 
uh, for you. M-U-K-H-O-P-A-D-H-A-Y-A. Mokhobadaya. I'm going to give myself a good solid 6 out of 10 on that one. Aerospace engineer at the Berlin-based research for ICCT told Canary Media, how will it work at airports? How will refueling is um, how is refueling going to happen? How does hydrogen get delivered? What safety concerns are you going to have? All of those bits and pieces. Why hydrogen is gaining favour around the world? Commercial air travel accounts for over two percent of the energy-related CO2 emissions, according to the International Energy Agency. That number is set to score in the, score in the coming years for oil-burning planes and more passengers hit the skies. In net terms, airlines and plane manufacturers are working to curb emissions by designing more fuel-efficient engines, electrifying ground operations, and increasing their use of sustainable aviation fuel made from used cooking oil, uh, forest residues, carbon dioxide, and other feedstocks. Last year, alternative fuels accounted for less than 0.1% of the total jet fuel used in the major US airlines. Although plant and waste-based Fuels can be cleaner to produce than petroleum-based fuels. They still emit carbon dioxide when burning engines. Hydrogen does not. That's why airlines and manufacturers are joining efforts to develop H2-powered aircraft. Fuel cells in particular don't generate harmful nitrogen oxides or fine particulate matter since they don't burn fuel. So retrofitting the fuel cell aircraft would emit about one-third less CO2 over its lifetime and that of aircraft burning e-kerosene. A type of sustainable aviation fuel made from electricity, water, carbon dioxide, according to the ICT analysts. Hydrogen, especially of the green variety, costs significantly more to make and buy than conventional kerosene. However, because fuel cell systems are far more energy efficient than engines, aircraft don't need to use as much fuel to fly. If green hydrogen produces, production ramps up and fuel cell aircraft catches on, it could be cheaper um, to refuel with H2 than fossil jet fuel in the United States in 2050. The ICCT said in a white paper published on Wednesday, the most surprising part was the energy efficiency impacting the price of fuel. Makopadahaya said, that was something we weren't expecting. So the hydrogen aviation takes first flights. Zero Avia and Universal Hydrogen, both headquarters in California, have spent about half of 2023 testing and demonstrating some of the world's first hydrogen fuel cell aircraft. In January, Zero Avia first launched its 19-seat private plane at Cotswood Airport, a private airfield near the English village of Kemple, surrounded by farms and grazing sheep. The blue and white Dornier 228 has now flown 10 times, hitting key milestones and enabling the company to begin the next phase of the flight testing. Zero Avia, which raised over $140 million from investors, including the United Airlines and American Airlines, retrofitted one of its twin-engine turboprops with fuel cells and batteries, which can reach a maximum power of 600 kilowatts. The other side um, kept its oil-burning jet engine over the course of the six months. The aircraft reached a maximum speed of 150 knots and flew at a height of 5,000 feet 
and performed an endurance test for 23 minutes. There was no malfunction of the fuel cell during the flight test um, campaign. Gabriel Teofili, Zero Avia's head of aircraft integration and testing, said on a recent call from the airport's hangar, tilting his laptop to show the prototype parked behind him. Teofil said the company successfully demonstrated to the UK Civil Aviation Authority that the hydrogen electric system behaved as expected and that the aircraft has enough range to fly to another nearby airport. Zero Avia is now preparing to begin its first cross-country flight in England before the end of the year. It's also working to retrofit a second regional turboprop in Washington State in partnership with Alaska Airlines. The idea is to demonstrate that it's not only possible, but it's safe, it's reliable, and it's profitable. TFL said of the hydrogen aircraft. He noted that Zero Avia plans to shed the batteries and engines that it's using during testing to deliver a final aircraft powered only by 1.8 megawatt fuel cell. The company claims it's on track for commercial operations in 2025, starting with a 9 to 9 seat aircraft with a 300 mile range. Meanwhile, Universal Hydrogen says it's making progress on an even bigger retrofitting turboprop. The company has raised at least $82.5 million from investors such as GE Aviation, American Airlines and venture capital arms of Airbus, JetBlue and Toyota. In March, the Los Angeles-based startup launched its first test flight from a small airport near Moses Lake, Washington. Its first uh, its 40-passenger Dash 8 prototype has one original engine plus one plus a 1.2 megawatt fuel cell and 800 kilowatt electric motor with no batteries. Mark Cousin, a Universal Hydrogen CTO, said the aircraft has flown nine total times, including a series of trips from Washington down to Mojave, California, where the plane now resides. The prototype climbed up to 10,000 feet high, hitting speeds of 170 knots, and operated for more than an hour in flight. The company is continuing to test key elements of the hydrogen powertrain, including the cooling system that keeps the fuel cell from overheating, a challenge that can limit the technology's performance and range. Universal Hydrogen is also preparing to ground test a 2MW powertrain on an ATR-72 turboprop, which could begin flight testing in 2025, Cousin said. The company aims to enter a hydrogen fuel aircraft into passenger service later that year or in 2026. Both Zero Avia and Universal Hydrogen are using hydrogen in its gaseous form to power fuel cells during the flight testing. Though the company plans to use liquid hydrogen eventually, the fuel is less widely available today, but it packs more energy on a volume basis than gaseous H2, which can be stored in fewer and lighter tanks on the aircraft. Along with retrofitting conversion kits, Universal Hydrogen is also developing liquid hydrogen storage capsules. The idea is to collect hydrogen from electrolyzer plants, which use water and renewable electricity to produce green hydrogen, and today remains few and far between. Trucks or trains would then transport the capsules 
to the airport. Cousins said the the company's ultimate goal is to convince airlines and major airplane manufacturers that it's possible to develop the necessary infrastructure powering larger hydrogen-burning aircraft. Airbus, for instance, is building a demonstration engine to test hydrogen propulsion in one of its A380 jumbo jets. The real objective is to demonstrate not only that we can fly a turboprop on hydrogen, but it's also to demonstrate that hydrogen propulsion is a viable solution for short to medium range operations, he said. Um, I probably should say at this point in time that, that I'm in no way sponsored by any um, airplane manufacturers or hydrogen manufacturers. They don't sponsor this podcast whatsoever. I mean, I haven't been gifted any aircraft or liquid hydrogen uh, for, you know, just talking about this. This amazing article. I like this because it harkens back to the Wright Brothers days where, you know, they, they didn't flew very far at all. And then somewhat 60 years later, we landed on the moon. It just goes to show what happens when something's of a focus. And you've got this joint multi-company approach, multi, you know, not only in the, in the aircraft industry, but also in the, the car industry with Toyota. And they're all joining together to put together this this amazing solution that, excuse the pun, hopefully gets up. So that is a, uh, yeah, a lovely bit of news about overcoming a uh, bit of a challenge right now. And uh, there's more challenges to come, but it's uh, it's a good one. Okay, more news to come. This one you are going to love. Okay, so this takes place in New Zealand, which is a lovely place just across the pond uh, from Australia. I can't officially recognise that New Zealand is a better country, beautifully wise, than Australia, of course, being very patriotic. But if you've never seen... Well, of course, Lord of the Rings, but just the South Island in itself. Absolutely and utterly stunning. Take a trip, just, just you know, look over Google Earth at the, uh, or just Google, you know, South Island or New Zealand and the mountainside. It's, it's beautiful. It really is. Anyway, this news. So for the past 25 years, oh, this website comes from, um, from a blog at the uh, govt.org. New Zealand, and I'll link again, will be in the show notes on the website coffeeplacepodcast.com. For 25 years, a small team of bird experts have flown into the Land- Landsborough Valley in the southwest, uh, southwest lands most summers to count birds, essentially. It's one of the departments of conservation's longest running monitoring projects. The DSA principal's scientist Colin McDonnell has um, been involved in the work from day one and joined the same few counters to return each year. And together they have counted over 100,000 individual birds. Some things haven't changed over time. They still fly in by helicopter and camp in a small tent in the beach forest with the view of the Deshan Glacier. In the evening, they sit in their folding chairs and cook at a small camp stove under the fly fish shelter. If we'd known we'd be doing it for 25 years, we might have set up a more of a permanent camp, laughs Colin. During the day, 
They do five-minute bird counts at 174 stations along lines through the forest. Each observer listens to and records all individual bird callings around them for five minutes. It's required to uh, require top-notch bird call identification skills. So, you know, if you're thinking about just jumping in, you might need to do a, an e-course or something, I imagine, on bird calls. In 1998, uh, the monitoring began. Its purpose was to measure how bird populations fared as DOC began managing introduced predators, first possums and then later rats and stoats. Today, this is still at the aim, but much has been learned over the past quarter of a century. By the way, there's a beautiful photo on the website of just this lush green forest. You can see the people in the middle, they're wearing high-vis, but yeah, it's, it's truly magical. It's like a lot of, a lot of moss on the, uh, on the trees. Anyway... Fresh from university, Colin first surveyed Mohua, or Yellowhead, in southern wetland in the mid-1980s. For the former wildlife service, he found very few birds, the first warnings that his species weren't doing very well. Later, studies confirmed stoats were preying on the Mohua, and trapping made a difference. Further research using cameras on nests revealed that rats were also a problem. Mahua had hung on in Landsborough, along with a good range of other native forest birds. It was uh, a priority to try and protect them. Collins says they first set out to measure the benefits of trapping over 50 hectares of forest. It's something I'm the most proud of. If um, It was proof of a concept that works, showing that we could increase breeding success of birds like Mahua and save breeding females from, you know, predation, predators. At first we naively thought that trapping alone over a 50km um, long uh, Landsborough Valley would be enough to recover the birds. The first um, uh, 1,080 operations was, uh, you know, control possums. We later learned how effective this would be at controlling rats and stoats as well. We designed the birds, um, bird monitoring, to be repeatable and practical for such a large valley. In 174 monitoring points uh, gives us enough data to be able to detect change in bird populations. The first year, just 14 Mahua were heard. Last November, that number was 485. Mahua is now the most common bird, as it once would have been throughout the South Island forests before introduction of, you know, predators, you know, were invaded. Over this time, seven other native bird species have also steadily increased. Oh, these names, okay. Um, number of bellbird, um, brown creepers, riflemen, strange name, uh, grey warbler, fantails, and yellow-crowned parakeets, and kawaii. Six other native species have stayed uh, stable or only very slowly increased. Uh, the kakakei, the nigri nigri, I'm going to spell it N-G-I-R-U, N-G-I-R-U, um, the wood pigeon uh, and the New Zealand falcon, and the shining cuckoo. Just two native birds have declined, the silver tatau and the long-tailed cuckoo, which uh, migrated to the Pacific Islands each winter. Silver Ray may have been 
uh, auto competed by larger and more aggressive honey eaters and the bellbirds which may have dramatically increased long-tailed cuckoo rely on mahua and brown creeper to raise their young so may have been affected by earlier declines in these species they could also be impacted by conditions during their pacific you know overwintering we just don't know for sure in total though native bird life has more than doubled and there's another stunning photo there of the white-capped mountains with the beautiful seriously go to this website check it out it's really cool in contrast uh, introduced birds such as hedge sparrow, chaffling, thrush and, and blackbirds have declined. Their fortunes reversed as competition for food and space has grown. But overall, the results have been phenomenal, Colin says. It's beyond what I imagined, um, but not beyond what I hoped. When Mohua became the most common bird in 2019, I thought, yes, we've done it. Over time... The counting has gotten more difficult with more birds and chorus of overlapping calls. What a wonderful problem to have. The results of monitoring and knowledge gains have been used to adapt the predator control program over the years. Now extensive trap lines snake for 56 kilometers either side of the river and aerial um, 1080 operations have carefully timed with cyclic beach forest seeding or masts which cause rat, rat numbers to spike. However, things are always changing in nature, especially with climate change and the warming temperatures, favouring rats by allowing them to better survive over the winter months. Ongoing monitoring is important to detect future changes in bird life and check predator control that remains effective. Over the years, new bird counters have been trained, but the original team is still going. Colin says these days his knees get sore, but he still enjoys his annual trip to the valley. He finishes with a quote here, My dream day is just going off to have some time by myself to count birds. It just sounds incredibly wholesome. Good on you. Good on you, mate. That's really good. And it's good to see that there's a you know a plan in place and it's actually had some really, really, really positive results. And the bird's just adorable. Absolutely adorable. Okay, so this is the end of the sleep tonic. I hope you've uh, you've enjoyed this. I hope by now you are asleep and you are just relaxing. You're just snoring your head off. If you aren't though, then I guarantee that as dull as this episode was, it'll be even duller if you just go back and listen to it again because you now know what's coming on. But thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Anyway. Good night. Sweet dreams. Take care.